Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, it's Hugh Ballou. Welcome to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. You know, over the years, we've had uh, numbers of people talk about money, and money is a common topic. Very few people understand uh, what attracts it. Very few people understand how the conversations go. Very few board members understand the parameters around it. So I have a guest today, Wayne Olson, and Wayne has got a number of books that we will talk about. Um, And every one of the books has a very specific purpose, and he's working on another one. Uh, but, but Wayne has some really good experience in this area, and he's got some really good wisdom to share. And he and I have talked a little bit, and I'm just excited about uh, letting Wayne share with you some of the important messages he's learned over the years. So Wayne, t- welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Tell people a little bit about yourself and a little bit about why you're doing this work that you do. I uh, thank you, Hugh, and I'm grateful to be here. It's good to be with you today. And uh, I started off life as a practicing attorney, a litigation attorney, uh, contract law, a little bit of real property law. And about 20 years ago, a friend of mine said, you know, you'd be a great plan giving officer for the American Cancer Society. And she knew of an opening and she encouraged me to apply. And I started, I loved it. And I couldn't believe they paid me to do this work. And I I have loved it uh, ever since. And I've had positions with the Cancer Society, with the University of Richmond, uh, with the University of the South, and with a a trust company serving charities from the other side of the table. And uh, I've done a lot of writing in the charitable world and articles. And I do a lot of speaking in the charitable world, a lot of uh, um, speaking events and training. And I just love it. I can't believe that I get to do this for a living. It's a wonderful career. You're a relationship-based presenter, and I, I can imagine, I'm not seeing you on stage, but I can imagine how you connect with an audience. And, and so the, the central thing to, to, to funding, uh, I, the central thing for any business or nonprofit, and part of my desire for this whole series is to um, help nonprofit leaders and clergy understand good sound business principles. So what's underneath this relationship thing? Uh, leadership, ministry, money flow, communications, to me are all based on relationships. So talk a little bit about that and then go into what do donors wish that we knew? Sure. Hugh, the, uh, I, 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 it's unfortunate, but I think the best way to describe fundraising is to describe what it's not. And, and it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people do fundraising the wrong way. And it's easy to do it the wrong way. It's kind of like if you go to a trainer and they tell you how to get your form correctly to lift weights or to, or to shoot a bow and arrow, you can pick it up and shoot it. But that doesn't mean you're doing it the right way and you're developing muscles that will ultimately betray you. And I think the problem with fundraising is that we make it about money. We talk about money. We, uh, when we think of donors, we see them as money, and we see them as being able to do something for our mission. And, and I think the better way of looking at it is seeing the donor as somebody that you're there to serve. 
whether it's a member of your congregation or a donor to your charity or your church or your zoo or the hospital or the university, rather than seeing them as a, as a, uh, and this is a common phrase in our business, an ATM machine that you can go and extract money from to, to fill your needs, I think we're far better off seeing us as a partner with a donor. And, and the way I like to describe it is the donor wants to heal the sick, but isn't a doctor. The, doc, the donor wants to educate the young, but is not a teacher. And the donor wants to feed the hungry, but isn't a farmer. Well, if you're a hospital, you're healing the sick. You've got something the donor doesn't have, but desperately wants. So the ideal thing to do is to marry what we have with what the donor has to accomplish a common goal. And I think sometimes we feel like our goal is just to get money and uh, the donor's goal is to give us that money. But if we look at it from the relationship about what we can do together, uh, it's kind of, it sounds kind of corny, but man, it's very successful when you do things that way. It's what life's all about. It is. Now we titled this interview, the seven things that donors wish we knew. Um, you want to give us that list? Sure. Um, you know, the first thing, uh, I'm, 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 I'm trying to remember the seven things that I put the list on you and I've got to get my notes. So please forgive me. Uh, I can tell you that the, the first one is, and I'm cheating. I'm getting my notes up. Forgive me. Uh, I, I came up with it. I wrote it, but I still have to remember it. Is the donors give to us for one reason only. They give to us for one reason only. That's number one. And I, and I think that we need to remember that. And the number one reason they give to us is they have passion for our cause. They're passionate for what we do. There's never been a donation made coldly. They give us money because they have passion for what we're able to do together. And I think when we make it about money or about mechanics or about a transaction, we move away from the heart of the matter and it hurts us both. Donors give for passion. And, and Hugh, I will, I will reveal something about me to you and to your listeners and your viewers. I'm a plan giving guy. And in plan giving, we do a lot of fancy things that, that gives the donor some uh, amplified income tax savings, capital gains tax savings, um, other types of taxes they can save on, and, and even income back to the donor. If I put everything together that I know, every trick in every book and every box that I have, the donor is still better off keeping their money than making a gift. In order for that gift to happen, they have to have passion for what we do. And, and, and we need to remember that. Now, some people express passion more than others, true, but there's still passion underlying every, every donation. The, the, the second thing, and I'll be a little briefer on the following ones, I think the first one is so important, is that they want one thing from, above, from us above all else. They want our respect. They want us to treat them like the people that they are and not as the ATM. They want us to respect them, respect their time, respect their goals, their wishes, their, their attitude, just to simply be respectful of them. Um, the other thing is that, number three, that donors want to hear from us. They like it when we talk to them. And I, and I think the most powerful thing we can do with a donor is have a conversation with the donor where I call and I just say, Hugh, you know, uh, I appreciate everything you've done for me in the university, 
And you know, today I just wanted to call and see how you're doing and not ask for anything. Well, what'd you call me for, Wayne? You know, Hugh, I don't have an agenda. I just wanted to say hello. Donors want to hear from us. And I think that that's good news. And I think we should, we should honor that. The fourth thing, um, and this is amazing, at a minimum, donors want us to thank them. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen donors make very large gifts and never receive even a basic thank you. And, and I'll give you a real example. Uh, this is not in my role as a plan giving officer, but just as a normal person, uh, everyday Wayne. Uh, I was the executor on the estate of a friend of mine, and he gave a million dollars to a university. Happens to be a university that I'm very familiar with. I know the people there. I know a lot of people in fundraising, and uh, I wrote a check for $500,000. And uh, and I remember this. I was actually cleaning up his apartment when they called me and asked for the, you know, when the check was coming for $500,000. I was covered in soot and dirt and sweat and grime. I only had three days to clean everything this man's ever owned. And they didn't bother to ask if they'd come over and help me. They just want to know when they're getting their money. Well, two years later, I wrote the second check for $500,000. And I said in my letter with the check uh, that um, I wrote the check on December 28th, by the way. I said in my letter, you know, he's been dead for three years, and I've never heard how his scholarship is doing. Would you please give me an update on his scholarship? And let me know how the funds are being used and what the balance in the endowment is. And three weeks later, I got a letter from the advancement officer acknowledging receipt of the check. It was three sentences. And the two words that appear nowhere in the letter were thank you ever. I never got an update on the scholarship. I never got an update on the endowment. I never got an update on anything. And I never, ever heard the words, thank you. And that's a million dollar gift. And what they don't know is that I had some authority to give them extra money, but they're not getting any extra money from me. It's gone. It went somewhere else. And, I, and but so at a minimum, and, and by the way, I can give you examples of some of the finest charities in the country that don't thank their donors. That's amazing to me how such a basic thing can, can happen. But by the way, I'm very glad they don't thank their donors because I do thank my donors and that makes us stand out. So that's fine. Keep not thanking your donors. I love that. Uh, the, the fifth thing is it's the donors priorities. We're here to help the donor reach their priorities. As I said before, it's about them wanting to feed the hungry and heal the sick and teach the young um, to home just to house the homeless. It's their priorities. It's not ours. Uh, I used to work for the American Cancer Society. There are 6,000 uh, organizations in the country that have cancer in the name. You know, the donor just wants to cure cancer. They really don't care which organization does it, nor do they care which organization is the one that helps their relative or themselves coping with cancer. They just want that to happen. They don't want to support the American Cancer Society. They want to support people with cancer. It's their priorities, not mine. Now, I, I'm very fond of the Cancer Society. I don't want to give you the wrong idea, and I think they do it better than anybody else. But at the end of the day, the donor still is about curing cancer, not about making sure a corporate organization is healthy. 
Uh, number six, I want to be better, stronger, faster. I, I ripped off the, uh, the lines from the $6 million man to see if there was anybody old enough to remember that TV show. But, you know, it's really, it's very closely related to number five and, and number one and number two is it's about the donor. At the end of the day, after the donation is made, the donor wants to feel better having made the donation than not having made it. So we need to make the donor feel good about the donation, let them know how this is going to make their life better, how it's going to make them stronger, and uh, and just make sure that that uh, the donor knows how much of a difference they've made in both our lives and in their lives and their families' lives. And finally, and this one might come as a surprise to you because the first six are all donor-centric. Hugh, you and I are important. The, the, the gift officer uh, goes back to number one. It's, uh, number one and seven are very closely related because this is a very human endeavor. The gift officer is very key to making a gift happen. It's a human relationship. Who you are matters. You and I work, and all of your listeners and viewers work in one of the very few uh, professions where who you are matters. Uh, I can be an oil mechanic or a, change the oil in a car uh, at Jiffy Lube, and I'm under that trench, and no one ever sees me. Really, my personality doesn't matter. My attitude doesn't matter. As long as I change the oil properly, who I am doesn't matter. It's a fine job. It's a great job. But the personality is not important to doing the job. Uh, you can be a great gift officer for a mediocre charity and get great gifts. But if you're a terrible gift officer or have a bad attitude for the best mission that's ever been created, you're not going to get any gifts. It's all about us. And I, and I like to put it like this as I close on the seven things that donors wish we knew, is that, you know, as gift officers, it's really our job to not to get in the way. Uh, the, the donor has a passion for the mission. We're just the conduit to help that happen. And really our job is to stay out of the way and just let the donor do what the donor already wanted to do. Maybe help it along a little bit, but mainly stay out of the way. So those are the seven things, Hugh, since you asked. That's well, it. I, I made note of those and I'll summarize them on the website. That's really good. We, you're listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. If you're listening on a podcast, we're um, talking in the middle of a quarantine with the COVID-19 and early part of 2020, first, uh, second quarter actually. And um, we're thinking about how we're gonna empower ourselves coming out of this. And this is, these are really important messages, Wayne. Um, you can find the transcript on on the if you download the subscription from your podcast supplier or go to thenonprofitexchange.org, thenonprofitexchange.org, and you'll see the transcript of today and all of those seven points. So Wayne, you and I talked earlier, and um, we we um, we're nervous about visiting, say Mr. X, who's got an endowment and wants to support charities and does support charities. So we go in and we got a whole briefcase full of stuff. We got a PowerPoint, we got a handout, we got a business plan, we got all kind of stuff. So um, you had some good insights about, yeah, we're ready, we're ready and armed and we're nervous. We got all this data. So what's your advice about using that data? Sure. Uh, okay, create a really good PowerPoint presentation and study it and memorize it and have your phone up to date with the latest firmware and all your contacts up to date and all your email up to date. Have the latest brochures that you can and then leave them in the car. Leave it all in the car. Do not take it in with you. 
and, and I'll, I'll exaggerate to make the point, but I'm not sure it's that much of an exaggeration. And, and it's a mistake that I see a lot of people make. When we go in to meet with a donor to ask them for a sum of money, that is one of the most arrogant things that we can do. Hugh, I'm here to see you today, or Mr. X, as you call him, and uh, I was hoping you support our uh, canned soup drive for a gift of $10 million. I've done my research. I'm not going to say this to you, but I've done my research, and I know that you're capable of giving a gift for $10 million, and I think you should give a gift of $10 million to us. That is incredibly arrogant because it says that I know more about your passions, your calling, and your everything than you do, that I can, and forgive me, I've got two phones, uh, that I know more about you and your charitable inclinations than you do. I know your family story. I know what I know what kind of day you're having because I can ask you for this no matter what. And, and I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. I think what you need to do or what we all need to do is go to a meeting with a donor and listen to what they want to do. And then have a second meeting or, and listen, and, and then the donor might ask for something. Well, do you have a brochure you can give me or something in writing? Then we can send them what they want, what they ask for, as opposed to what we think they want that we're imposing on them. And, and also, as a bonus, and every gift officer knows this, you want a second meeting. So that's when you give them the, the brochure or the documents that they want, rather than putting everything together first and assuming that you've guessed correctly what their capabilities and intentions are. I only had a couple occasions where people that were substance said to me, well, you didn't ask for a sale or don't you want to check? Of course, I sit back down. I'm on the way out and sit back down and say, well, now that you brought it up, that is probably 1% or one half of 1%. So we, we yeah. load ourselves up with stuff. And we're nervous about it because it's a business transaction we we're preparing for. And we got all the figures. Here's, here's how much money we're going to need. Here's, here's the impact we're going to have people's lives. Here's the overhead. We have all these things that people might ask. So we want to lay it on them. And so what I'm hearing you say, number one visit is get to know the donor, find out what they're interested in. And do more listening because you got two ears and one mouth. Did, did I hear that right? You heard it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, listen, listen. So, what are the things yeah. that come up? This thing about overhead. Um, well, you know, this uh, uh, Dan Pallotta talks about the ways we think about charity are dead wrong. Um, and overhead, he said, is one of them. We we can't really for Center Vision Leadership Foundation. Overhead's either one hundred percent or zero percent because all the money goes to serve the, the needs of the clients. And so, you know, it's the accounting, how do you account for it? So what, we're thinking about those things that a business is successful. Now, there's different kinds of money, inherited money, earned money. So there's a business person you're talking to, and we're thinking they're gonna ask, they're gonna drill us for all these business figures and equations and all that stuff. So how often is that part of the conversation? And you, you said the first one's about relationship and getting to know them, but how often do these kinds of things come up in, in questions with donors? You know, Hugh, we talk about overhead a lot, but in my experience, it comes up very rarely in a conversation. And, 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 and I'll add this thought to that, to that answer, is that donors make decisions on overhead based on perception and nothing else. They will, they will uh, 
they will. I had a, I had a, my very first boss. I worked in television before I was an attorney. My news director said, "Perception is reality." And I, I've been in board meetings where people are. Uh, you say, you know, we really need to cancel this golf tournament because it's costing us a dollar ten to raise a dollar. We lose ten cents for every dollar we make. So we're, the, the golf tournament's a net loss. But you have to have it because that's been our great golf tournament for the last 30 years, and we've got to have that golf tournament. And everyone at the table knows that it's a losing proposition, but we still have it because there's some emotional attachment to the tournament. So the perception is it's worth it. At the same time, there are events or things that have a 5% overhead or a 2% overhead that people are violent against and then you know, they, they can't stand because they perceive that that's just a waste of money. Um, and you, I'll add a caveat to this. Uh, when I left being an attorney to being a fundraiser, no matter how much money I make, I always will drive a modest car and I will always drive a, or wear modest clothing. I mean, not, not shabby, modest, not dirty, not wrinkled, but modest. The same person that helped me get my first job at the Cancer Society told me, never outshine the donor. Whoa. And, and I think there's some, some validity to that. Now, I appreciate that if a donor invites me to the country club, they don't want to see me pull up in my 1985 Yugo that's uh, got a different colored door than the rest of the car. I got that. But um, you know, I really don't need to drive a brand new Lexus or a brand new Mercedes or uh, some other fancy car. I, I need to make sure that I, I don't ever give anyone the perception that my overhead is taking away from the effectiveness of their donation. And as a pertinent point here, I'm going to put in the sponsor moment here instead of at the end. Um, our sponsor is WordSprint, who prints Nonprofit Performance Magazine 360. Nonprofit Performance 360 Magazine. Um, and um, he, he's actually a mailhouse with a print print shop and two decades of research, two and a half million mailings. He says the top of mind marketing, and we're talking to donors, we're sending them a piece of mail which they have in their hand. He said 30% is the right person. You're, you have their name right <laughs> and you send it to that person. Two, um, it's the message, the right name, the right message. And it's the message is, Here's what we're doing with your money. You don't say that, but it's good stewardship. This is the impact we're having on people's lives. Here's the celebrations we've had. Here's what's coming up. And, and the third one is a regular, regular repeated rhythm. And you decide what that is. Some people don't want to hear from you every single month, but some people do. Certainly not every day or every week, but there's a rhythm. So it's 30, 30, 30. And then 10% left is appearance. If that was too, too fancy, it actually works against you. So that's like the car thing. So wordsprint.com is where you go find out about how to stay in touch with your donors with mail. And it really cuts through all the noise of all the other email and all the other ways that we try to communicate to donors. So that brings to, to our, we, we want to talk to donors. So how do they want to hear from us? That probably varies with personality, but, but give, me, give us some insights we want to stay in touch with them. How do they want us to do that? 
Hugh, I don't have an answer for that other than be in touch with them the way they want to be in touch. Um, I can tell you the hierarchy for me is uh, in person is first. Uh, donor, nothing beats looking at somebody in the eye and letting them look you in the eye. And I, very few donors don't like the personal connection. Uh, followed by a handwritten note. Um, I'm a big proponent of uh, handwritten notes. Uh, one of my trade secrets, by the way, I love America and I love the American flag, but you will never get a stamp from me with the American flag on. I always try, I go to the post office or I go online and I try to buy the fanciest stamp I can that stands out because it shows the donor that you've taken time to write a letter. If you put, if you have your uh, mail metered or uh, with a generic flag stamp, that says it's just one of a bunch of letters today. So person to person, mail, uh, followed by email, followed by a phone call, followed by email. Uh, all of those are great. Text messaging is fine, but nothing beats one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. You know, with phone, even with email and text, uh, nuances and the tone can be easily lost. Um, so be careful. But nothing beats face-to-face -face phone. Well, research shows that seven, seven, seven percent, seven percent uh, of a message is in the words. And so all the rest of it you can do in person. You can't do an email. We send an email, expect people to get it. So that's all right. about the relationship thing. Now, we've had a lot of people over the years talk about donors and giving. And you're giving us some fresh insights on all of this. And the stamp, we never thought about it. I did uh, 40 years of music ministry. I never had lunch alone, always with, with a member. And I always, every day, came and had note cards to said, hey, thank you for this. And it was like sending people Perfect. a million dollar check. Oh, he took mm -hmm. time to write me. So it was just a handout and it has to be genuine. You know, they actually did something and you liked it or they showed up or I appreciate you. Just something that's simple that they got from you. We don't have to write a lot. So you mix it. I guess what I did was mix it up. Sometimes it was email. Sometimes it was, yep. it was in person. Sometimes it was uh, uh, something in the mail. Sometimes, oh, here's an article I was thinking about you. Perfect. Yeah. By the way, you just mixing it up, but what you just mentioned is here's an article that shows I was thinking about you. That's that, that's the sign of a genuine relationship and a friendship, and it's priceless. It is. So, um, so um, now donors aren't all one size and shape, and um, I'm I'm an extrovert. And when people come, how you doing? You know, what do you want to, what's the purpose and where do we want to end up here? Now, my wife wants to talk about family. You know, we want, and then we'll get around to talking about this. So knowing, knowing the personality type, where does this enter in? It's, it's just, it's just being, uh, our job is to be, I hate to use this word, it's got negative connotations, a chameleon. If our donor is an extrovert, let them be the extrovert. If they're an introvert, let them be the introvert. And we respond to them rather than asking them to respond to us. We respond to the environment and, and create an environment that's most comfortable for them. So whatever works for the donor has got to work for me. Now, um, I work with um, people starting up businesses, work with mid-cap corporations, and I work with nonprofits, both mature organizations and startups. Not everybody can afford um, a Wayne Olson, an expert. 
um, of your stature. So they're they're trying to put it together. So a couple of questions are coming out of, there's a lot of situations, but early stage, people want to build a nonprofit and they want to hire an executive director. And I say, no, you need to think about a funding specialist first. Uh, when should somebody think about hiring even part-part time, a funding specialist? Well, obviously you've not seen my accounts receivable or my or my paycheck because you'd be amazed at who can afford me you. <laughs> oh boy, you'd be amazed at what you can afford. Um, here's here's the reality though, and it, you know you need to um, you need to be thinking about fundraising immediately. In any organization that depends upon donations for your for your well-being, you need to be thinking about them right away. It's really that simple. Um, here's my tip, though. You know, let's just say that I'm a great fundraiser and you like what I'm saying. There's a lot of experts out there that have written books that nobody reads or not enough people read. You know, they're, and they're really good books. And check out some fundraising books and read them. And, and learn from them and, and be careful about which ones you choose because there's a lot of bad advice out there. Uh, but, you know, read. Uh, I, I asked, I've asked people who are in leadership positions, when's the last time you read a book on fundraising? Oh, I don't have time for that. And I say, oh, I can tell because your habits are terrible. Uh, and by the way, I don't pretend to have all the answers in my book or any of my books, but, you know, Check them out. You can you can get uh, previews for free online at Amazon, and and look at other books. And and by the way, I probably buy and I've been doing fundraising for 20 years. I buy at least one fundraising book a week, uh, and I don't read them all cover to cover, but I at least skim through them and read some chapters. Um, and I'm also fortunate. Some friends of mine who are writing books will share theirs with me and ask me for ideas or to you know to help edit. And so I try to stay on top of things. And uh, reading about fundraising is never a bad idea. Also, join AFP or another fundraising organization so you can meet peers and listen to their ideas and, and learn from them. Here's a, here's a top-level funding specialist saying he buys a fundraising book a week. And we got somebody that's broke. All the time. Somebody that's, that's broke saying, oh, I don't have time to, to read. So um, I, I, I buy and read leadership books. Um, so yes. there's a book I recommend. It's uh, called Think Like a Donor, Creative and Simple Ideas for Getting More Gifts and Improving Donor Relations. That's by none other than Wayne Olson. And so tell us familiar. a little bit about that book. Tell us a little bit about that book. It, the, that book in particular is a, it's my first book, and it's a simple, small book. You can read it in less than an hour. And as I was making the transition from attorney to plan giving officer, I just collected stories of things that worked for me. And I thought, you know, this worked once and it worked again. I bet somebody else might want to do this too. So it's a, just a collection of very short, simple ideas on things you can do to improve your fundraising. And you'll read it in less than an hour. And it's designed to be, each chapter is just a page. So you can read a chapter and implement it or move on or do whatever you want. But it's, not, it's just really, hopefully, creative and simple ideas you can use right away. So um, how about the Disney difference? The Disney difference. Uh, I grew up in Central Florida. 
uh, fan of Disney. I've uh, gone there many times. I've worked in the theme park industry for eight years for uh, Busch Gardens. And uh, I thought it would be fun to write a book. Uh, and I, I give a, a speech that's, uh, that I, that it's my most popular presentation, Donor Relations the Disney Way. Uh, I first gave that presentation in 2005, and uh, somebody named Jeff uh, saw me give that presentation and asked me to give it in Lynchburg, Virginia, the next uh, couple of months. And I have been giving that speech ever since. And Jeff, thank you. Um, so I, I continue to give that. Anyway, uh, people said, we, you know, we want to learn more about Disney and your approach to Disney. So I wrote this book on donor relations the Disney way and how, uh, if you had to, uh, to summarize it, it would be, if Walt Disney was the chair of your CEO, what lessons would you, or chair of your uh, nonprofit, what lessons would he give you to run your nonprofit better? That's one way of looking at it. But it also, I wrote it so it worked for nonprofit or for-profit organizations. So and it's that same Jeffrey that introduced us. Um, big. That would be the same guy. <laughs> big gifts, small. Good friend. But yeah, he's a he's a peach of a guy. Big gift, small effort. Unleash the power of planned giving and change for your nonprofit forever. And, and talk about this, but define what you mean by planned giving as well. Planned giving is a uh, it's a type of giving. It's my specialty. Planned giving is any gift to charity other than cash, check, or credit card. And, and actually, planned gifts can be uh, cash as well. But it's any gift that takes more than two minutes to form. And uh, it's wills, it's trusts, it's gift annuities, it's life insurance, it's uh, real property, personal property. And a great number of nonprofits don't realize that they can have a plan giving program. And, and I'll give you a very personal and, and uh, a vulnerable story. I went to the Cancer Society on my, my first day. They, they came up to me and said, we're so glad you're here. We've been holding these checks for you to get started so you can send these checks out to the donors and I paused and I was really confused because I thought that donors sent us checks and we didn't send checks out to donors I was, was genuinely confused I said sure I'll get right on it I went to my office closed the door and started flipping through the books to figure out why in the world we would send checks to donors it just didn't make sense and candidly it still doesn't make sense but the answer is if they do something called a charitable gift annuity, we're sending them a check every month, and it's good for the donor, and it's good for the charity. Well, in my uh, frustration and anxiety to try and find the answer, I have a lot of really thick books that are good at holding a door open, but they weren't good at explaining what a gift annuity was. So what I did is I wrote the book for me that I wish I had on my first day on the job, that hopefully, if I've done it well enough, explains plan giving so anybody at any charity can pick it up and understand very quickly how plan giving can help their, their cause without any experience whatsoever. And, and by the way, I still use the book that I wrote because I'll forget something and I'll say, I think I covered that. And I'll go and look it up and figure out what the answer to a question is. Because it's easy to read, it's easy to reference that kind of stuff. And that's on purpose. And you're working on yet another book? Fundraising for nonprofit board members. Um, again, there's a lot of books out there on board membership and fundraising for board members, but I, I think there's a there's a need for a book that that is something that board members will actually read and do. 
So I've written a book that's uh, eight chapters, I think, and at the end of each chapter are questions for the board members to do as an exercise. And um, it's meant to be read quickly and easily. And my goal is to write something that the board chair or the CEO or the, or the senior pastor could hand out to the staff or to the chair or to the board members on their first day of the year or the first day of the fiscal year or when they join so that they can learn how fundraising in a nonprofit works. And you can um, find these books on Amazon, I guess. They're on Amazon or my website, wayneolson.com. Wayne, W-A-Y-N-E-O-L-S-O-N.com. Correct. Find his books uh, on, look on, on Amazon or on his website. And so, Wayne, mm -hmm. this has been full of information. And thank you for being the guest on the Nonprofit Exchange today. If, do you have any um, parting challenge or parting thought that you would like to leave people with ending this great interview? You know, thank you, and I'm grateful to have talked with you, and I'm honored that you would uh, ask me to join you, and I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I think here's my parting thought, and number one is look look out, look out, for people like Hugh Ballou, and and look for mentors, and find somebody who can you can follow and learn from their experience, and that will help accelerate you personally and professionally. So find a mentor. Um, I had a young woman call me uh, on Wednesday. Uh, she had heard a, a webinar I had given a couple weeks ago, and we talked for 30 minutes because she had just graduated from college and wanted to know what decisions she should make on her career in fundraising. And I gave her some ideas on things to look for and questions to ask. <laughs> I would not presume to tell her what to do, but I did tell her what to look for. Uh, so find a mentor. And, and, and you'd be surprised who's willing to be your mentor, maybe. But also, and this is the flip side of this, be a mentor. Whatever experience you have, be willing to share it with other people and help other people come along. And, 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 it, and do what you can to give back to the profession and to, and to your donors, too. But that's it. Be the person that everybody else wants you to be. And, uh, you know, be the friend, the golden rule. All, all fundraising comes down to the golden rule, by the way. You can summarize it all in one sentence about doing unto others. But um, that doesn't make a very long book, so I have to add some extra words in there. Wayne Olson, write a couple more books. Good. Wayne Olson, your gift to humanity, and uh, thank you for being here today as a guest on the Nonprofit Exchange. You're very kind to you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>